Welcome. <laughs> wow. Well, good morning. My name is Jay, and I like having Mac Powell open for me. I like that. Normally, normally, all the students come to hear him, and then I'm the cool old guy that comes up afterwards. They don't know that Mac was my youth pastor. But uh, anyway, I'd like to state that publicly, and if it's been said from the pulpit of the Church of the Apostles, it must be so, right? But Mac Powell is uh, a treasure. Uh, I've literally been with him hundreds of times, football stadiums, Six Flags, Universal Studios, uh, uh, you name it, wherever there are college campuses, and God has always used him, and he leaves a great wake. And I hope all of us remember today, especially with everything going on, that we leave a wake. Every one of us, everywhere we go, the restaurant, the hotel, our work, our church, especially with our kids. What a beautiful family that was here. Uh, it's exciting and it's sad sometimes being part of the body of Christ. And that's what they went through in the New Testament. About the time they felt like, man, we got the anointed apostle here, the prophet here, the, the leader here, God would send them to another part of the world and bring in others behind them. But I want to share with you today and I'm not going to spend all my time telling you what an honor it is, what a privilege it is, what a thrill it is. Because I've been in those places where the speaker's gone on and on and everybody's thinking, dude, make us glad you're here. We're happy you're glad. <laughs> but we want you to get down to it and make us glad, all right? So I'm going to do my best. I love your pastor. He's one of those uh, heroic servant leaders. And talk about leaving awake. He's left one all over the planet. So I'm really pumped about being here. I've had three texts from my wife making sure I behave myself because uh, she said, you just can't be what you normally are at the Church of the Apostles. So anyway, I'm, I'm under a lot of pressure here, folks. I just want you to know. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. I know the president got in trouble when he called it 2 Corinthian, but I was saved in the Jesus movement and I called it 2 Timothy because my Bible had a 2 and a Timothy. And when you're dyslexic like I am, if it says 2, it's 2, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, all right? But 2 Timothy, you know, you learn a great deal about an individual by what's on their mind and heart when they know they don't have long to go. The last words of leaders, the last words on a battlefield, the last word, I mean, how many books have been written? How many movie scores and themes have been developed based on the last words of some great heroic or maybe even an unknown person, but it was so profound. How about the words of Jesus, his last words? We know what he prayed in his last hours before he began to run the gauntlet of the crucifixion, 
the torture, the whippings, the scourging, the beatings. And then he would go through the agony on the cross. And his last words in the garden, we were on his mind. His last words on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's finished. The work you gave me, I've finished. And then, of course, his last words before he ascended to heaven, the great commission, go into all the world. And I want you to go to your hometown. I want you to reach Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea. I want you to go to Samaria. I want you to go all over the world. So we know the last words of someone. If you have a loved one, I was with my mom when she passed. And even though I'd been through six broken homes, I'd been reconciled with my dad, had an opportunity to pray with my father, my real, my real dad, I had six, so you need a program to keep up at home. But, uh, but I was with him the, the night uh, that he passed away. And so I think I'm safe to say all of us have had some experiences where the last words that somebody is saying, the thing that's on their mind the most, and Paul, only, Paul knew he only had hours, maybe at the most a couple of days. He's pouring out his heart. And so I asked this question. I want you to write the question down. And we're going to go through 2 Timothy chapter 3 for the answer. Here's the question. Is it possible today to make a decision? Is it possible to do something in this worship service? are watching at home or wherever you happen to be, is it possible that I could do something today that would allow me, enable me, sustain me to be able to stand on that day? Now, I want to remind you, Martin Luther said there's only two days. There's only two days today and that day. So please understand, there's nothing, yesterday we can't do a thing about it. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. Life is tissue paper thin. We know that. We're probably more aware of this maybe as a a country and as a people uh, than we've been in a long time. Life is tissue paper thin. So only two days that matter. Today, what I do today matters. And can I do something today? Could I make a decision today? Could I pray a prayer today? Is there something honestly before God that I could do that will help me know that I'm going to be able to stand on that day? And you know, that day is when we stand before him. And soon there's going to be a day when there are no more days. And Paul not only wanted to make sure what Paul is doing with what he pours out in 2 Timothy is, number one, he wants to make sure he finishes well. I've run the race. I've finished the course. I've fought the good fight. Paul was adamant in his own mind and spirit. I want to stand tall when they make me get on my knees and they are about to behead me, decapitate me. This man was determined to go out strong, be able to stand on that day. And then he was concerned about Timothy. He calls him a son. 
He loved him as a son. You know, Paul didn't have, we don't know much about Paul's family before his conversion. But we know Paul lived as a single man as he had this ministry all over the Roman Empire. Took the gospel where it had never gone before. And here was Paul wanting to make sure that his son, those closest to him, and then he also knew that this letter he was writing, and he wrote letters, that's what the New Testament is, as you know, the letters, the epistles of these men of God who wrote inspired by God. So here's Paul making sure in these next hours, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm able to stand. I want to make sure my son, those I care the most about, are able to stand And I want to somehow, if possible, leave a legacy. Do something with my life that somehow will make a difference long after I'm gone. So my message is entitled, The Highest Goal. But more importantly, my highest goal. Your your highest goal. Are there some scriptural secrets Are there some simple but profound truths? Is there something in this epistle that Paul wrote in his last hours that would give us the way to be able to stand when there's so many things in this life that brings us to our knees? Now, there's the knees that we get on when we pray, and that usually leads to victory and power and comfort, strength. But there are moments that bring us to our knees. And as a young guy that went through six broken homes and six foster homes and was in and out of six different detention centers, so when I hear the number 666, I get real nervous, all right? Not only in the future, but in the past. It makes me a little nervous. So I was this long-haired junkie, out of control, a lot of learning disabilities, very dyslexic. I couldn't read, so I got involved with the drug scene, so no one would know I wasn't able to read. I wanted them to think I was too cool for school than the fact that I was dumb, and I was always called dumb or stupid. It was college till they figured out, dude, the wiring's a little mixed up, and they got me some help. Then they found out I was a little A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D, but that's a whole other subject, all right? So as a young guy who didn't get off to a good start, is a young man who really had no clue about how to navigate life. I found out early on at the age of 17, I found out something that would change my life. I heard something that was too good to be true. Then I found out it's very true about the person of Jesus Christ, his death, his sacrifice, his glorious resurrection. I also found out it was too good to keep to myself. Once I asked him to step out of heaven and come into my life, and he began to transform my life, I found out I couldn't keep it to myself. And so I began to understand early on that I had found the answer, but I had so much baggage. So I want you to know one of the great lessons in all the Word of God, and I promise you in these last days, and that's what we're going to study, the last days, Timothy warned, excuse me, Timothy was warned 
about the last days. We're going to look at what all that term means. But I want you to understand a great truth. And this is really kind of my journey in a nutshell. I had this incredible moment where I asked Jesus to be born in my heart. I stood and I built a manger in my heart and I asked him to come. And it was just like that early manger. I'm sure there was a lot of stuff in there that not ideal, but he came and I gave him everything I had, which wasn't much. And he forgave me and he cleansed me and he moved in. He's been there for a long time and he didn't bring a suitcase. Thank heaven. He backed the moving van up. He unloaded the, I mean, he's been with me and I'm so very grateful. Second great thing I learned is not only do I need to share him, but I also learned that I still had some passions in my life, some things in my life. You know, I'm always asking uh, pastors, do you have porters at your church? And they always go, what do you mean? But, you know, so many of our folks, we, we bring a lot of baggage with us when we come to a church. We bring us with us. We bring our past with us. I mean, we need some sky caps in some of the churches. Amen. And please don't point, sir. That's not nice. Don't point at that guy. But, uh, but we all know that we've got a past and we've got baggage. So here's what I had to learn. No matter how high the wall, no matter how steep the mountain, no matter how discouraging the odds are, and no, exactly. And no matter how deep the hole is that I'm in that I dug with my own two hands, if God be for me, who could be against me? And when we go through what we're about to talk about in the last days, I want us to have that assurance that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know that he lives in me. Number two, if he be for me, who could be against me? And number three, because I know what it's like to, with all my heart, want to stay true and clean and still have baggage from my past. You know, when you've been physically abused, sexually abused, abandoned a lot, several times as a kid, I've chased dads, chased them in the car, trying to get them to stay. And I, I've had several moments in my life that forced me to my knees. When I was, uh, Eight or nine, I had stepdad number four say, Jay, I'm, you can call me dad. And I was pumped. And, he ha and, and I never will forget because he said, Jay, I, I, I want to be your dad. And he played catch with me. I learned to play ball. I learned to play baseball by throwing the ball up against the side of the house. I learned to catch flies by throwing it on the roof and, you know, at different parts. And then it would come down. That's how I learned to catch pop flies. When he played catch with me in our neighborhood and people saw I had a dad, man, I was living large. He also had a brand new GTO, convertible. Now, I know for some of you, you have no clue. I also know for some of you, you're lusting in your heart right now. Right. <laughs> so, man, this guy had a cool car. He said, Jay, I'll be your dad, but pretty soon the inevitable happened. Uh, alcohol destroyed virtually every relationship my mom was in, uh, and almost all the homes were broken, but primarily because of alcohol. And I never will forget, she said, Jay, 
Bob, and I know he told you he'd be your dad, but he's on a drunk. He's on a binge. And if he doesn't come home from the bar tonight, I can't go on. So we drove all the way to Fort Myers Beach in Florida. And I, she said, you wait in the car. And it was rainy night. And I sat there, the windshield wiper she left on. And the car was still running. And she went into this bar to get him. And I still remember the light flashing on and off. Surf club where the fun begins. The only problem is when she went in, Bob wouldn't come out. And she sat on the steps and wept. And I got out in the rain and I went up to my mom and she said, Jay, I can't go on like this. And I went into the bar. And remember when I said the only problem is where it says, let the fun begin. When you go inside these places, you know, you watch the beer commercials on TV. I mean, there's waterfalls and palm trees. The young ladies are models. The guys look like they're chiseled and stuff. I mean, you know, all the beautiful people. I go into this bar where the fun began. I bet there were six teeth total in the whole room. I mean, it, hello. I could hear deliverance. But sorry. But anyway, stay focused now. No, but anyway, so I remember saying, and this guy, Bob, turned and said, Jay, what are you, do what are you doing here? I said, you promised you'd come home and be my dad. And uh, he started laughing. And all the men in the bar started laughing. And they started making fun, saying, hey, Bob, will you be my dad? Bob, can, you know, will you be my, you know? And, and I found out that it's not just young guys that have peer pressure or young ladies, but men have it as well. And Bob kind of caved in. And he said, well, I tell you what, Jay, if you get on your knees and beg me to come home, I'll come home and be your dad. Now, man, I didn't know about being bad to the bone or being tough or any of those things. I just wanted a dad. And I got on my knees. I can still feel how sticky that barroom floor was. And I said, please come home and be my dad. And when he started laughing, I got up off that floor and I made a promise. I would never ask anybody for anything ever again. And the reason I bring that up is I know about moments that bring us to our knees. I also know about what can happen that makes our heart grow dark and hard and cold. Whenever I speak in a detention center or a prison or a jail or a rehab center, uh, you know, whenever I go with folks that are struggling with a lot of things that I struggled with, I always ask a question. Do you remember when the light went out? Do you remember the moment? And I promise you the overwhelming majority, I want to say unanimously, but I honestly can't think of somebody not responding with a head shake or raising a hand or that look. People that are struggling with some of the issues, and some of us are here today, some of us watching, and life is putting us on our knees, and we remember the moments when the light went out. So you know what I learned that night when I gave my life to Jesus? That he turned the light back on. And when Jesus turns on the light, now we can kind of navigate these difficult days. So 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 1. You ready? Here we go. You got a pen, pencil, uh, mascara, lipstick, 
a stylus, whatever. But I want you to mark a couple phrases down. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. They'll be unforgiving. They'll be slanderers. They'll be without self-control, brutal, not lovers of that which is good. They'll be traitors and, excuse me, treacherous and rash and conceited. And they love pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they have a form of godliness, an outward shell of godliness. They've got some religion, but yet they deny its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, I want you to know that you have just heard the longest run-on sentence in English literature. I mean, that goes from verse 1 all the way to verse 5. I mean, that, that's a run-on sentence. There's 19 different modifiers, it's called in the original, describing a generation who's living and going with a certain world current and a certain worldview, and they're headed in a certain direction. And the Bible warns us. Now, when you see the phrase, but mark this, the King James Version says, but know this, in last days, perilous times will come. Many versions in the Bible, here are some of the ways it describes that phrase, terrible times. Several times, and you may want to jot a couple down, see if it, you understand the severity of the moment. There's going to be perilous times. There's going to be dangerous times. There are going to be difficult times. There are going to be hard times. There are going to be days that are painful to endure. But you know the word that is closest to the Greek for that word? In the last days, and I'm going to ask you to write it down, grievous times will come. And the word grievous is not just there's a danger lurking. It has to do with the heaviness of heart. It has to do with a broken spirit. It has to do with depression and discouragement and genuine wondering, what in the world am I to do now? So the Bible says there's two things we've got to understand. Number one, constantly realize that you're in the last days. Now, let me quickly say, there are many times in Scripture, Old and New Testament, when the term last days is implying the days before when Jesus comes. We're told many times there'll be signs, there'll be birth pains, there'll be warnings. It'll be obvious we're getting closer and closer. But I want you to know the term last days used here is simply saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're about to face some last days. Now, number one, Paul was facing last days for him, and for him making any kind of contribution, and he was trying to make every moment count. But we know this isn't just referring to the days immediately before when Jesus comes, because Paul takes great links, 19 modifiers describing people that Timothy must avoid. And Timothy is not going to be alive 2,000 years later right? We know, so this term, last days, here's what it means. It is going to be times 
that seem to get worse one season after the next. It's almost like every hurricane season gets a little greater, gets a little more severe. There's more and more storms. It's like the whole earth is groaning. And please know and understand, the Bible says in the last days, the days coming will be worse than yesterday. So you and I are told that we have to constantly, just like Timothy was warned, have our head in the game, mark this down, tough, discouraging, sorrowful, grievous, dangerous days will come. So what do we do? Number one, verses one through five, that world's longest run-on sentence, avoid the pleasure seekers. And I wrote down a phrase because I was trying, I asked the Lord to help me summarize all those modifiers. Here's what you have to understand. It says they're not just untamed or out of control, but they're what? They're fierce. They're not only unholy, but they're wicked. They're not only disobedient, but defiantly rebellious. It's one thing to uh, not do all you should do for the Lord. It's another thing to shake your fist in his face. You know, with your own children, you know, there are times your children make mistakes. There are times your children need correction. And then there's some times when they bow their back and they're defiant. And it's usually the dad's fault. I've learned, you know, <laughs> at least that's what I, but anyway, so I, I want you to know and understand that in these last days, people are going to be unforgiving. You and I are living in a period of time, and now I know this is 2,000 years later. I know there's going to be a moment when Jesus blows the whistle and says, everybody out of the pool. Make no mistake about it. There's going to be a moment when this same Jesus, bodily, physically, visibly, comes back to this planet. There's going to be a moment that he comes for his children. There's going to be a moment when he says, ready or not, everybody out of the pool. And I want to be ready. And I want my loved ones ready. And I want my friends ready. And I want my city ready. And so please understand, number one, avoid the pleasure seekers. Now, that doesn't mean don't have friends. That doesn't mean you don't care about those around you. Listen, my background I went back to my surfing buddies. I went back to my drug friends. I went back to the athletes that I played sports with. I went back to my crowd, my world. What is it? Remember what Jesus told the Gadarean demoniac to do? Go home and tell your friends what great things. So when the Bible warns Timothy and us Turn away from such people. Avoid such people. It doesn't mean you don't have anything to do with them. It just means that you don't become part of the group think. You don't let them put you in their mold. You don't let them overwhelm what you believe. And you and I have to make a choice because you're only going to be as successful as a great leadership principle. You're only as successful as the people you have around you. And if that's true for legendary coaches, that's a Tony Dungy quote. President Obama said after he was first elected, before he was sworn into office, four years from now, the people are done a vote on whether or not I get to stay in this office. And it'll be determined by the people I have around me. 
So you got a president of the United States, you got an NFL Hall of Fame coach who said, I'm only going to be as successful as the coaches and the key players I have around me. Well, guess what? John Maxwell, one of the great leadership experts of our generation, what has he said? Single greatest lesson he ever learned, leadership lesson. I'm only going to be as successful as the people I have around me. Well, man, the Word of God has told us that. Be careful who you run with. Be careful. Now, love folks, minister to folks, share the gospel with folks, encourage folks, befriend folks, help folks. All the things that Jesus did. But just don't let it squeeze you in the mold, number one. Avoid the pleasure seekers. Number two, anticipate periods of persecution. Anticipate periods of persecution. The persecution of the saints. Look down, if you would, beginning at verse 10. It says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, in the original, that little, that little uh, preface in front of my way of life, my purpose, that personal possessive, it says, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. You've known that about me, Timothy. You know all the things I've gone through. And, he, and Paul went through some great persecution. Listen to what he said. All kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet here it is, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we're told, avoid the pleasure seekers, turn away from them, keep your head in the game, focus, understand the times, mark this down. We're living in these seasons. And by the way, the word days, if you'll look at it, some versions say days and seasons, some versions say days and uh, times. They're all plural. So we're going through something. Now, we all are praying that once Tuesday comes, you know, whatever happens, we're done to some, you know, once this, once the virus is gone. But the Scripture lets us in on a secret. There are going to be days so dark that the darkness is going to beg for light. There are going to be days that will put us on our knees. There are going to be days that will leave us numb. There are going to be days where what we're going through, our emotions break the backs of our words. We won't even know what to say. So how can you and I do something today that will help us be able to stand on that day? How can I do something today that will sustain me, my highest goal, to please him, to make today count, and to be ready on that day. I want to stand on that day, whatever that day is for me. I'm telling you before the Lord, I want to stand. I remember I had to stand in that night when I gave my heart and life to Christ. And the young guy said, every head bowed, every eye closed. So I did what most people do. I peeked. And I saw people all around me raise their hands. I saw the young lady beside me raise her hand. And I never will forget, I raised my hand. 
And then when the young man said, if you mean business for Jesus, you stand right where you are. Said you can't be ashamed of him. You can't be running around wearing everybody's name, the name of your favorite group or the name of a designer or, the, you know, the name, somebody's name on a purse or somebody's bumper sticker on your car. You can't be running around identifying with a hundred things and not be willing to make a stand and identify with Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you, that you might have forgiveness and hope and salvation and new life and not go through these days alone, but with him. And again, I promise you, if he be for us, who in the world could ever be against us? And so simply, I want to stand on that day. And when he kept saying, stand up, stand up, stand up, I peeked again. And no one was standing. And I made the great bargain that everybody, Lord, if you'll let one person stand, Lord, I'll stand. I'll give my life to you. Nobody stood. And I never will forget, Jesus said, Jay, if you want me, you stand. Jay Strack's never been real smart. Jay Strack's never been real tough. I did the smartest, toughest thing I've ever done in my life. I stood that night. And I asked Jesus Christ to step out of heaven and come into my heart. And man, he came. And he's real. And it's been, well, none of your business, but a long time ago. <laughs> And he's still there. And what he has done for me, he longs to do for you. And he's done for many in this room. And some of you would say, Jay, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I really know him. I don't know if I'm ready for that day. And by the way, that day can come like that. I'll close with this. Flying here from Orlando yesterday, I'm sitting on the plane, and there's a woman about four rows ahead, five rows ahead, who begins to go a little upset, put it mildly. She is sobbing out loud, uncontrollably. And somehow as we were coming in, she must have forgotten, she was an older lady, had forgotten to uh, turn her phone off. And somehow she got a text on the plane that her son had died. And she's on this plane with all these strangers and, and, um, she just starts sobbing. She can't call anybody. She, can't, she doesn't know, you know, what do you do? And she just starts sobbing. And this stewardess, unbelievable, she was like an angel, just hugged her and rubbed her arm and knelt down beside her. And so I didn't know if she's having a heart attack. I mean, you know, I'd, I didn't know what all was going on. And so finally, after several minutes, and, you know, with all the social distancing, you don't want to go up and get in somebody's, you know, I mean, so I said to the stewardess, I said, is she okay? I said, does she need a nitro patch or does she need any, any help? Or I mean, and she goes, no, her son just died. And the stewardess, I said, do you think she needs to talk to a minister? And the stewardess said, I do. <laughs> I mean, this woman was just in, this incredible lady named Georgia, by the way. So there's a flight attendant out there 
Make sure you get on Georgia's flights, all right, for Delta, all right? She was incredible. And so I went up and knelt beside the lady and prayed with her. She said, please tell me, where was God? Where was God? This is a reminder from me to hurry up and tell you where God was, all right? (laughs) And you know what I've learned? Nobody minds it when I have a reminder. (laughs) Same to you, buddy. Uh, No, but anyway... uh, (laughs) Yeah, I wish you'd have had it about 10 minutes, but anyway. (laughs) But in all seriousness, she said, where was God? Where is God? And I said, ma'am, I said, that's the the question that every mom or every dad and almost who's ever lived has asked that question because there's nothing gets us like our children. And and you don't all that you just hear it in this horrible way. You don't even have anyone to talk to and you don't even know what happened. But I said, I promise you this. He was the same place where he was when he lost his son. And the reason he lost his son is so there might be the hope that you'll see your son again. And that's why he came. The pain is real. The days are dark. The days are grievous. You don't need me to tell you that. It's like telling somebody in Louisiana, the storm may come this way. I mean, can you imagine? Every time they hear the news, you know, they got to be nervous. And that's the days we're in right now. So you and I never know what's going to put us on our knees. You and I never know. So you know what the answer is? Abide in the profitable scriptures. Yes, there's going to be persecution, but he's promised to bring you out and deliver you just like he did Paul. And then it says, but Timothy, continue that which you've known. Look at verse 15 in the Holy Scriptures, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by the breath of God, and it is useful, and it is profitable, and it is instructive in the training of righteousness, so that the servant of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, ladies and gentlemen, Church of the Apostles, you and I know we're in these dark, grievous days. You and I know that we could be blindsided tomorrow. You and I know that we have a responsibility and we care deeply about other people close to us. And I believe with all my heart, the highest goal is to say today to our God, from the balcony to the front row, those at home, to pray and say, Dear God, I know we're in last days, whatever that, however much longer we have. I know things are difficult. I know people are hurting. And I think some of you can honestly say, Lord, you know I'm hurting. I'm scared. I don't know what's coming. But Lord, I want to be able to stand, and I want to do it in such a way that those closest to me will also be able to stand. That was part of Paul's objective in writing 2 Timothy. So ladies and gentlemen, what's your highest goal? Let's settle this today. Let's nail that down today. Let's do today what will be forever grateful we've done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the tremendous worship that we've had. 
Thank you, Lord, for this remarkable family that you're calling and go out of this church to serve and to minister. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for the, the reputation of a church where the word of God is preached, that a big deal is made about your word, your way, your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray in these next few moments that you'd help us to be honest. I pray, Lord, when I ask a very personal question that we would answer it honestly before you. Not worry about, and I give my word, Lord, no one's going to be pointing, no one's going to be looking. I just want to know how to pray, Lord, for, these that are, for this question. So, Lord, bless this time and help us once and for all settle what we must do and begin to do and what you're telling us today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder how many would say, Jay, I enjoyed hearing part of your testimony, but Jay, I've got my own testimony. I know that I know if I die tonight, I believe I have eternal life. I believe I'll be in the presence of God. I believe he's in my heart. His spirit bears witness with my spirit. I'm a child of God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, how many would just simply say, Jay, I've, I know that I know that I know. I've asked him into my heart and life. And just slip your hand up high right where you are. This is between you and the Lord. No one's going to be looking. No one will point at you. I give you my word. If somebody would have point, pointed at me or embarrassed me, I'd have never gone back. So I promise no one will do that. God bless you. Upstairs, so many downstairs. Thank you. Thank you. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, how many of us today would say, Jay, you know, I'd really like to do today that which will help me stand in that day. I want to know the Lord. I want to know for sure that I've been cleansed, that I've been forgiven, and I've called upon his name. And I want his spirit to live in me and bear witness with me that I'm his child. So, Jay, would you pray for me that I would give my heart and my life to Jesus today? With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's your prayer, and again, no one's going to point at you or call your name or anything, I just will pray for you. How many would just simply say, Jay, pray for me. I want to make sure I want to invite him in my heart. Would you just slip your hand up high right where you are? God bless you, men. God bless you, men. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you, young people. Amen, friends. Upstairs, God bless you. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about for God or against God. God bless you, yes. Thank you so much. Put your hands down. What a beautiful sight. I'm going to ask you to pray a simple prayer with me. Let's invite Jesus into our heart and into our life, and let's call upon his name right where you sit between you and the Lord, right where you are. And I'll pray, and you just pray after me, and I'm going to pray with you the same prayer that... They prayed for me and led me in that helped me invite him into my life and changed me forever. So pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I know that. But I'm sorry for what I did that nailed you to that cross. Thank you that you love me. 
Thank you that you care about me. And Lord, thank you that you've spared my life and given me this moment. I understand that you not only died and shed your blood, but you rose again. You're alive. And I sent you and I ask that you come into my heart. And I pray that you would fill my heart and help me know that I know that I know that I'm a child of God. I've trusted the Lord Jesus. I've put my hand in your nail-scarred hand and said, please take me. Lord, help me to follow you unashamedly in church and Bible study, telling my friends, and Lord Jesus, I ask that your will be done in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, those of you that prayed that prayer, please let someone know today, someone as you leave, somebody you know, somebody that is, you know, going to be at the doors or text in or call in so we can send you some materials. You know, I don't have that preacher's voice like Pastor Yusuf has, you know. I feel like I'm supposed to send in for the information every time he talks about it. You know what I mean? He's just got that kind of voice. But I'm so proud of you. And thank God for men, man enough to say, I want to be God's man. Thank you for letting me come to the Church of the Apostles. And God bless you as you rock Atlanta. Hey, buddy. You're the man.